everyone, back again. Uh, today, I'm joined by only the second doctor I've had on here, Ryan Chavera, uh, to discuss a very interesting term in the domain of uh, Indigenous musicology. Musicology. Um, hungry listening. Dylan Robinson's idea, and it's super interesting, and I'm joined by Ryan to help me explain this, because this is his uh, field of expertise. And before jumping into it, if you want to follow me anywhere other than here, uh, you can find me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy or on Twitter, which is just my name, David Guignau. Um, If you want to help me out, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. Who knows? They might get a kick out of this. And yeah, don't waste any more of your time with that. Uh, let's begin. Firstly, with Ryan, anything else you want to add about yourself and a properly contextual land acknowledgement, given the obviously the subject matter and where you're coming from with this. Ooh, awesome. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for, uh, for having me, Dave. I appreciate the, the invite and the opportunity to discuss what I, what I think is like super uh, obviously relevant and uh, important work on the part of uh, Dylan Robinson. So as you noted, I think it's important as much as they're you know empty and kind of uh, ubiquitous now, but seemingly um, you know without uh, without you know certain discussion surrounding it. I think it's, it is important in the terms of setting up our discussion today after you know uh, reading uh, Dylan's work and just the nature of the discussion that. We do do a, a quick acknowledgement, but with sort of a reflection of our own uh, position here. So uh, for me, I mean, uh, I, I live and do my work in what is, you know, now considered London, Ontario. Um, it's it sits on the lands of the uh, Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, uh, Lene Lenape, Black people, and the Anishinaabe peoples. Um, you know, long-standing relationships with uh, uh, many different communities, including the Chippewa Nation of the Thames, the Oneida Nation, uh, the Muncie Delaware Nation, uh, right? And of course, uh, there's a large urban indigenous population in uh, the London area as well. Uh, that's important to recognize too. Uh, long-standing relationships between the university as well and uh, the communities across what we think of as Southwestern Ontario now. And I think it's important, you know, instead of just saying the words to sort of set up what that means in relation to our discussion, uh, because as uh, for myself, uh, again, as a, a settler scholar, which means uh, I have, uh, for my own sake, I have Ukrainian and uh, French background uh, coming to uh, this land, which uh, for different nations, uh, is thought of as, you know, North America, potentially Turtle Island, uh, depending on your perspective. So for me, it's important to kind of reflect upon what that means as a settler scholar engaging with this work uh, and doing it on in the land of uh, other peoples. And in this case, in London, Ontario, as I said, uh, Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Lenapewa, and Anawanrin. So. That's sort of, I think, important to, to set the discussion because uh, what what Dylan Robinson gets into, uh, a, you know, a solo writer, a scholar, um, you know, musician as well, uh, living and working and writing uh, in, in what's considered Kingston, Ontario now. Uh, I think he, he asks readers of 
you know, whatever descent we're engaging with is worth to sort of set their position and think about how they're breaking down uh, and engaging with what, uh, what we're thinking through today is hungry listening. But it's important to add as well, for those that want to contribute in any ways to uh, the ongoing Indigenous struggles, uh, especially against the Canadian government and various other corporate interests that are trying to push through Indigenous land, uh, trying to uh, seal certain oil futures for Canada at the expense of Indigenous heritage, Indigenous land. There are many ways to contribute to those causes, and I'll leave links in the descriptions there. And if anyone else is more curious about what Ryan said as far as the specific nations upon which where we are now situated, um, in my YouTube info section is is where I've placed my uh, my own like acknowledgement of these various nations where you'll be able to see how they are spelt uh, because it can be difficult for you if you wanted to look it up yourself. That could be a good place to start. Um, and yeah, so when it comes to actually listening, what Dylan Robinson is on about is giving us not only, I'm using this as a kind of segue into his uh, discussion, he's not only giving us a way to understand music, but as a way to understand or to think about how certainly people uh, that are um, descendants of, of certain colonial regimes, how these people can develop a certain ear to listen to others. But he specifies or he qualifies that, that it's not just listening for the sake of listening, but demands a certain uh, reflection upon that listening so that the type of listening we're fostering is not simply in the way of maybe appeasing white guilt or appropriating other, other voices. So as far as this term goes, uh, Ryan, I know that there are many indigenous terms that have been translated into what we call and what Dylan Robinson calls hungry listening. Uh, how would you give that that history of that term as he kind of lays it out like what do you think is important to mention about that yeah that's a good uh, good question i think an interesting one uh because it uh, immediately gets to the heart i think of what Dylan robinson's discussing for one it it, it, it puts uh, me in a position uh, you know sort of that uncomfortable position already and the challenge to consider and reflect upon how I'm engaging with the material. And again, you know, listening to the discussion and the writing and the composition and all that. There are moments where I think it's uh, helpful to you know, break down the, the terminology for sure, as Dylan does. But I also think I, I take a step back uh, immediately and start to think, well, okay, the hungry listening that Dylan sets up is clearly uh, from different as you said, words in the solo language, uh, which, you know, I, in, in one sense, I feel I should be making an attempt at um, characterizing and speaking, but I also feel like I have no complete contextual background uh, of the pronunciation of any of the, the different setups of the uh, alphabets and all of that. Uh, so again, I, once I feel like I'm backing out of it, uh, where I should be engaging the, the discomfort, but um, uh, I'm sort of dancing around this because in, in the one hand, I, I I don't know if I'm here, uh, I guess, uh, to explain uh, hungry listening, but more so to uh, engage. And as you said, do that reflection and think about what it means to do that uh, listening 
on our parts because in some ways, so I will attempt some discussion and explanation over here, right? Because uh, Dylan Robinson knows that hungry listening isn't a um, listening through whiteness by any means. So it's not just, uh, you know, we've come together today to discuss uh, the problem of uh, white listening or something. Uh, it's a it's a characterization of listening uh, through coloniality, right? So there is uh, a marker of, you know, uh, what he discusses as, uh, you know, there are Asian American uh, hungry listening, uh, you know, structures, and there are experiences of indigenous people under, you know, these hungry listening structures. And they're the same way that settlers of, you know, this and that descent, whatever it may be, uh, engage in this hungry listening because it's not uh, reduced to a sort of racial identity by any means. So for us, I think uh, today in a weird way, it's where we're discussing like one small angle of hungry listening, which uh, uh, of course is narrowing it down, not just for the sake of avoiding other discussions, but for the sake of digging deeper into what that uh, terminology and, you know, lived experience of hungry listening means for us and i think to get into some of the more details of it dylan you know no, uh, notates or whatever that it comes from these these terms referring to uh starving uh and settlers specifically but starving person so uh, they, i think there are different ways we can take that uh particularly whether it's uh, you know, a lack uh, of knowledge or, um, you know, uh, as he clearly says and uh, identifies a hunger to consume and just, you know, uh, as you said already, appropriate knowledge. Uh, there, there are different lines and avenues that this hunger kind of uh, refers to. And I think on the one hand, the lack is something that is necessary. It is there, you know, for a reason. Uh, sort of inevitably, but it's something that can be tur uh, turned into uh, an obstacle that people feel they need to overcome, which I think Dylan addresses and says, you know, it's not something that we're, we're trying to overcome. It's something that needs to be, you know, acknowledged and perhaps reflected upon and engaged uh, beyond just um, something interesting that we see today where it's uh, you know, reflect and move on or something like that. It's a bit more than that, but we can get into that uh, later. And then the other hand, the starving element, I think, uh, refers to this uh, eagerness on the part of, you know, I'll stick to settler, but it can refer to other non-Indigenous, Indigenous relations. Um, of this eagerness, you know, as we see today under this post- Truth and Reconciliation Commission kind of uh, era that we're in where we really want to do the right thing sometimes or we really want to, uh, you know, as you said, alleviate some guilt or exclaim that we're uh, an ally or something like that. But I think part of that is, is a misstep that this hungry listening is naming that, uh, you know, as well-intentioned as some of these things may be, uh, we're moving a bit too quickly beyond some of the processes that uh, might uh, be more beneficial and beneficial not in the sense of we're getting to an endpoint that uh, we can you know check things off and pat our backs but beneficial in the sense that while well, we're actually doing some of the digging and engagement 
But before I keep rambling, I'm kind of interesting to hear, uh, interested to hear what you felt or what your reaction was to when you saw sort of this starving identity of hungry listening. Yeah, well, it. I guess there are a few things I, I would I would say about that, uh, and that would be to add that from this book, which I have here, and I'll show anyone that would want to look it up and buy it. Uh, this is the cover. Uh, so if you're looking for it, this is what it looks like. And it's a great book. But toward the beginning, he makes the a, a very interesting move uh, and just interesting from my perspective, not having seen that before, where he actually asks non-Indigenous readers to skip a whole section because it's not for them in which, and I did, I didn't read it. Uh, I don't actually know what he discusses there, but I assume it was a way to speak directly to um his indigenous um, community and those that identify among the the Stolo people and 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 otherwise. And so, what that does, I think, certainly is demand that this project of allyship is one that demands people learning how to shut up, uh, because there are many efforts on the part of colonial settlers to speak, and they speak too much, speaking on behalf of others, which in order to immediately kind of uh, challenge demands listening. But like you said, Ryan, when, when we're discussing listening, it's not simply about colonial people uh, listening to people who have been colonized, in this case, indigenous people. It is quite multifaceted and, and what Robinson gives us can really be a way to discuss how people listen across many different, uh, many different identities, many different nations, many different ethnicities. And so it demands that we really interrogate our own subject position and what our listening necessarily means and the association with a certain hunger. And I remember him adding that historically the term, which I, I wouldn't be able to pronounce in any, in any, in any way, uh, was also meant to refer not only to st literally starving uh, colonial people who would have died without the help of indigenous people and indigenous knowledge. But these were people that were also starving for wealth uh, during the gold rush. And so this image is not only of someone that is on the verge of dying, but someone that wants to consume endlessly, consume the land, exploit the land, exploit resources for their own benefit without actually reflecting on that, <laughs> that thing, like the world being uh, a thing that has its own kind of essence that we are hurting violently with our uncritical consumption. And so I think that this reflects or relates to this notion of listening in that it demands a certain reflection upon listening so that we aren't just committing this kind of hungry listening, trying to consume what certain uh, like feminist scholars call the other as being this site of, um, of, of interest. And there are many different other implications for that, especially when certain indigenous knowledges, certain indigenous uh, cultural icons are used to proffer up a kind of Canadian national identity like we saw in uh, the 2010 Winter Olympics, right? Where suddenly Canada was all about demonstrating indigenous heritage, which of course was just a mix and match of different ones that fit a certain kind of um, imaginary idea about what 
an indigenous community looks like, what an indigenous person looks like, which is, of course, totally detached from any kind of uh, reality. And I would like to say on the side, uh, Ryan, that I just read a book by uh, Kyle Mays, who's, uh, a, 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 do you know him? You know that you know his stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, Afro-Indigenous scholar, he did his dissertation in uh, Michigan or Detroit, I think. I think, is that the one that is? Yeah. 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 And he makes the interesting case, of course, that like um, indigenous peoples have a very long history with not only with these, this kind of uh, in how they are constructed in terms of living in certain places, but like there's a very prominent indigenous urban population that is often like erased and indigenous connections as far as music goes to hip hop, to jazz, to blues, that is often erased. Uh, and how this entire history is something that it's important to consider, not only when we're considering uh, the history of music and how many of the different genres that we come to know and love have been kind of influenced by indigenous culture uh, in, in somewhat indirect ways, yet still very significant ways. It's important to acknowledge that. and. When we, when we begin to do that, we can see the kind of complexity of the project of listening and what it necessarily requires without laying out a schematic as to how to properly do it, but points us in the right direction to motivating this kind of discussion so that we're not just replicating a kind of hungry listening, just, just to consume for the sake of consuming and not, not respecting. Yeah, I think uh, what, uh, what, what's been interesting about it uh, lately for me is this kind of twist that we've seen now where uh, you know if there is a, a greater recognition hopefully that you know, the world is finite resources and it's you know reaching uh, a particular limit or threshold uh, now we see the settler you know state and construct and structures adapting it to be like well can uh, we mine the histories of indigenous knowledge now to save our way of life? And like you said, it's completely uh, centered around, you know, the idea of consumption and extraction and all of that. But now it seems to be flipped at, well, we want to consume uh, indigenous knowledge, you know, indigenous, uh, you know, ontologies, epistemologies, all of that to beef up and, uh, fix or you know repair our settler way of being and understanding and that so we can continue to uh consume ex extract the land you know bodies knowledge of uh, indigenous peoples and for me of course that this uh, uh i think for many uh, indigenous people is not a new uh, not a surprise like i think that's something that is is unfortunately you know predictable that, again, you know, the settler state's going to continue to uh, uh, abuse, murder, you know, culturally and physically commit genocide and all of that, try to continue to push its way of life through, which, um, you know, of course, that's just astounding. But in terms of hungry listening, it's we see the attempts in, you know, uh, inquiries, uh, the, the commission itself, uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which I think on the one hand have some sort of uh, benefit depending on, you know, uh, 
this uh, revealing or if there are um, certain people from certain nations that want to speak trauma and be heard on a national um, level of course national i'm already referencing that in settler terminology here but um there are certain elements of that that are uh, helpful but on the other hand we're seeing this inclusion without reflection uh, sort of practice that dylan also gets into uh throughout uh, the early part of the book and of course if, if i haven't mentioned already uh, dylan is engaged with the discussion about what he rephrases as art music uh which refers to on, on maybe a more settler side of classical music or mostly classical music, I think, but uh, sort of this European uh, terminology and written structure of music and performance structure of music. And so uh, he reframes it in sort of this indigenous plus art music, which again, I, it's it sounds weird and uncomfortable, but if, uh, as I say, I can recognize that I'm already discussing it, but not really getting to the core of it, because there are things there that I am cannot pull from and it's not a cop out to say well i can't understand it so i'm going to half engage with it and pull what i can get from it and move on it's meant as sort of a recognition that there are things there that are refused and like you said with the uh, the section at the end of the the intro that is a refusal a pushback to speak only to uh, uh you know indigenous peoples um and refuse that this sort of desire and need to uh, understand everything or categorize everything or consume everything and uh, dump it or move on or whatever it is. But the indigenous plus art music uh, refrain is uh, an acknowledgement of the poor approach to inclusion that we are seeing more frequently now, uh, whether it's you know uh, through Black Lives Matter movements, or as, as you said, you know, pr protests against pipeline uh, advancement and oil uh, refineries and all that. Um, we're seeing an inclusion and uh, a desire to be included on the part of settlers uh, and be involved in you know, this and that and be at the center of it. And on the other side, we're seeing inclusion in the sense of, well, if we include you and do these inquiries and commissions, um, or we include you in, you know, our identity as a multicultural nation for our world uh, display for the Olympics or something like that. Um, then we are, uh, you know, on multiple levels, we're pretending to alleviate our guilt or responsibility. Uh, and also we're doing the work of inclusion, so we're getting better, right? Uh, but I think Dylan interrogates this quite well uh, throughout the book. And uh, again, I. Um, I won't take uh, or believe that I can unpack it all or take the time to do that. But uh, the, the, his interrogation of uh, inclusion, I think, starts and directs it towards uh, the settler and not uh, the indigenous person who already, I think, as we've seen through other work like Clint Coulter and Leanne Simpson, Audra Simpson, is that the inclusion is a, is a falsity, but that the, the settler uh, recognizing that the, the work of inclusion is not um, really the process being called uh, for in the case of Dylan's work or uh, being as beneficial as we, as we might think it is. Yeah, and 
one of the ways that I that helped me to understand that was to draw a distinction between uh, a pretty narrow distinction between form and content. And what I mean by that is that uh, Dylan Robinson gives the example in the case of indigenous music being incorporated into kind of the Western cultural imagination, however we want to position that as being the Canadian context or the United States context or, or uh, wherever, where uh, the content of certain music is allowed. But it's often, of course, in doing that, it is decontextualized in that it is being divorced from the form, from the history, from, the, from its social uh, linguistic setting. So you can play or have indigenous music featured in you know, where we often associate like classic classical music to be played in music halls or anything like that without reflecting on the fact that we can't just take music or music can't just be extracted from a setting and placed in another setting and it will retain the same meaning. Uh, that would be totally, it's totally, um, it doesn't really make, make much sense or it seems like a pretty intractable thing to do in that to kind of vulgarly do it, do it the opposite way. Uh, we probably wouldn't imagine seeing like an orchestra playing music in uh, on a playground, you know, just a, it, the context matters and it is just forgotten about when all we are doing is trying to proffer up a certain multicultural image that Canada tries to continually revitalize or to maintain. But in doing that happening, of course, uncritically, avoiding actually engaging with these um uh, communities. And it is often just a kind of pressure valve to give Canada a pat on the back to say, oh, well, we've done this. So therefore, we don't need to proceed with various hard investigations into missing and murdered Indigenous women to lack of access to water on innumerable reservations to um, disrespecting Indigenous heritage sites and and significant culturally significant sites which is all the more pernicious it's 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 perhaps not worse but it it definitely competes with just not doing anything in that we provide ourselves the false illusion or the illusion period of doing something that is just superficial is all it is yeah for sure and uh so what i think is interesting too i don't want to uh, make it seem like I'm sitting here and just throwing stones or whatever. Um, because what I really, uh, what I really found difficult, but, uh, you know, exciting about, uh, hungry listening to the book is, uh, like you said, the different ways that, um, Dylan Robinson sort of refuses, uh, content wise and structurally how you know different readers are going to engage with the book itself and i think this comes across musically as you said where i love when he breaks down you know of course uh it's going to be in a opera hall or something when you see a symphony orchestra of course uh you'll clap when the musicians are sitting and of course you clap again when the conductor comes out of course uh the instruments are going to be in tune and if they're not in tune uh, that's a problem or something like that. Uh, that really, you know, I, I don't, I'll admit to not having seen a ton of symphonies or orchestras. Uh, I've been in those venues uh, and I understand the sort of 
formality that gets attributed to him. Um, but it also made me think about, you know, standing in the club or the music hall or, uh, you know, the, the small bar or whatever, and thinking about uh, sort of structures and formalities, even of the dirty dive bar or whatever, that uh, you know, formulate and uh, construct our listening experiences there. Um, and, you know, regardless of, you know, who's playing, and oftentimes it's, uh, you know, a settler band in the case of uh, London, Ontario here, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, that, that sort of push to reflect upon that, uh, I found, uh, he doesn't even uh, ask for it explicitly. He's not like, now go sit back and think about your last concert experience or something like that. It's uh, sort of a challenge to the structure of the listening experience. Uh, in the in the formal sense, in the music that he is, you know, uh, often engaged with, discussing, uh, analyzing, you know, contributing to, um, but it's it's a question and a push to uh, move to think about what it means to listen, not just you know with the mind or isolate the ear or the mind or something as the listening example of the body that you. Uh, you use or something like that but uh, it means okay what is the structure of the listening what are the experiences um, that you're engaged with that seem perhaps uh, you know secondhand or subconscious or unconscious or whatever it is uh, so I guess I, I was kind of curious as well I don't mean to keep tossing questions at you but did you have sort of a moment where you went to listen to music again after reading the book and necessarily was like oh more aware of it or did you kind of uh was the listening more about the writing itself a little of both i think for my own part uh some of the biggest kind of cultural influences in that domain have been like a tribe called red uh and you know, buffy saint marie these uh indigenous musicians who who i'm kind of very interested in not only with their music but their their political projects as well and I, one of the things, and this might be a little bit, um, I, don't, I don't know, giving myself up a little bit, but there was a tendency within me to look upon or to romanticize indigenous music in a way that I think is, is replicates the same kind of systemic form of oppression that, that I'm ostensibly trying to interrogate. And what I mean by that is that there's a tendency, or at least for me, there's a tendency to look upon that music as being just like naturally better or being more in tune with maybe a so-called truth of the world or the universe or something like that. And while I can't obviously say for sure whether or not that's the case, that is part in itself of this kind of cultural imagination in romanticizing this past to you know, what is now formulated as Canada and it, it having this heritage that goes all the way back to these more pure forms. And in doing that, it not only kind of um, irons out the intricate differences between various different indigenous nations and how they conduct their music, how they conduct their listening, and just kind of romanticizing them as this like site of possibility, you know, for uh, for the theoretical term or the theoretical kind of connection here, like 
like the Deleuzian idea of just becoming like you just pick something and and that and there it's like a site of possibility and and then you can just become that and that just kind of mirrors the logic of late capitalism like nothing else like oh that's something I can go and exploit that's something that I can make myself better with to make myself more in tune with what we've just kind of arbitrarily called like more natural or more real and that is uh, just a way to replicate this these structures and so in that way i think that coming to terms with because it's all too easy to say oh we just need to listen as soon as you start to interrogate that very active listening to consider how that listening replicates the same system then it comes down to really getting at the core of our own prejudices that we just don't see that we just don't uh, engage with. And that that is for me, I guess the most significant thing that that came up as a result of reading this text and really engaging with this idea. But I guess I would like to flip that script back on you and, and wonder how uh, two things, what did this do for you in the same way as you asked me, but how does this figure into your own work? How do you uh, approach this this idea, hungry listening, with your own, because you just recently finished your dissertation, how does it figure into there? Yeah, I think uh, I'm glad you flipped it back to something, but uh, because I think that's part of the, the discussion. It's, uh, it's, it's again, easy and good, but uh, Let's interrogate, uh, listening and reflect and reflect. You know, I've probably said reflect a uh, hundred times already, but then it's like, where does it go from there? Cause that's the hard part. And I think, uh, you know, that's the, the difficult part about, you know, whether the, it's the self-naming allyship or how do we listen or I'm a, you know, gonna show up to uh, every protest and be the loudest person there, right? It's, it's where do we move beyond that? That is the next step that is unclear and I think the difficult part that uh, rightfully so uh, Dylan Robinson hasn't uh, he's not his next book isn't a, a thesis of how settlers are going to listen properly to uh, you know solo people or something like that the work is uh, uh, meant and on, needs to be done on the part of you know non-indigenous people in whatever area background population you are community member you are a part of you know that work needs to be done on your time and on your part. So it's good. Uh, again, another long-winded turn to get to, to the answer to your question, but uh, I liked his point that, uh, you know, perhaps a decolonial listening uh, or an unsettling listening or uh, whatever it is, is uh, partially uh, becoming not familiar or unfamiliar or not even knowing what listening, what it means to listen anymore. And so, that's a, a horrible paraphrase, but uh, the sense of not understanding what listening means anymore is, I think, part of uh, the process. And of course, it's not as like, oh, I don't know what I'm listening to. I don't understand it, so I must not know what listening is. That's two different things. Um, so for me, like personally, I think uh, I have, uh, have, as well have been interested and uh, excited by the work of a tribe called Rand and uh, DJ Shub when you broke off and Bucky St. Marie. Um, I was listening to, you know, uh, Come and Get Your Love by Redbone again before this kind of uh, the, the 
classic rock element of, of it all. Um, you know, different electronic artists that uh, are really uh, sort of pushing different boundaries and mixing sounds and all of that. But uh, and in the same way, I think you're right. I, I also have a tendency to romanticize and uh, you know, set up utopia in certain ideas, uh, which is perhaps a fault. Uh, or it is a fault, it's a good outline. But I think um, sort of the difficulty then of, of trying to, well, how do I listen differently? How do I listen better? Um, what, am, what, is, you know, what does it even mean? How do I listen to my own listening or think about listening while I'm doing that? And it seems so abstract and far-fetched, but it's uh, all a bit of, you know, engaging with, uh, the understanding of your own positionality as forming your listening experience, from what I understand, right? So there are different contrasts of, uh, I used to think more even in the writing of my dissertation that, oh, it's a, it's a sort of deep listening. That's what uh, is beneficial, whether it's a deep listening on the side of Indigenous artists like uh, Jeremy Dutcher or Malice and what we call New Brunswick now, and you know his listening to recorded versions of his people from years past, um, and reclaiming these songs, right? And that's a deep listening, and a deep listening on the side of the settler then is you know really understanding uh, what is um, not understandable and what's you know being told to you in the performance and in the song. You no, know, but I'm not so sure about that anymore. I think. Uh, deep listening, as I think, you know, Dylan uh, asserts in later in the book, perhaps, is that deep listening might also be a bit of a misstep in um, trying to push deeper to understand what is happening in the, in the music, in the song, um, in the European sense of, you know, notation or performance structure, as we uh, mentioned earlier. But I think stepping back from that and you know, turning the wheels again on yourself, which uh, feels weird and sort of uh, perhaps Freudian or psychoanalytic or something like that. Uh, but I think it pushes against that as well. And uh, I'm not trying to say, you know, it's the, the savior philosophy that pushes against everything or whatever. But I think encouraging a listener to uh, sit within themselves, which I know is the hot, hot topic these days, you know, get uncomfortable. You don't understand what you can't understand and all that stuff. But I think, you know, trying to think about what that uh, means as, again, I, I said that I have Ukrainian descent and French descent, not as a shadow, but as an understanding of, um, you know, the history of my experience on this land. It's one, limited in my family history, but two, uh, based in, in you know, different parts of the country and in Treaty 1 and in the London area and, you know, Treaty 3 in Northern Ontario. But the reflection on that to me was recently this sort of settler precarity and the ability to jump around the land to, you know, find what's uh, most lucrative uh, financially or whatever it is for myself. But in terms of listening, it means thinking about, well, what is the, my relationship to uh, the land, to the to the nations of the artists, and uh, how is that informing what I'm hearing in the song? You know, if Tribe Called Red is two members now from 
Six Nations, uh, close to where we are in London, Ontario, but they do their work based out of Ottawa, Ontario. Um, how does my relationship, you know, as uh, someone in London, Ontario, doing that work, you know, influenced by what I'm hearing in the music and what I'm seeing in the videos? Uh, how does that relationship, um, you know, reveal certain things to me, and how does it uh, close off certain things to me that um, immediately in my, you know, pressing play on whatever or putting whatever material on to listen to. Uh, it's immediately closing certain things off, but it's revealing certain things and it's forming how I'm listening to it. So I know that was that was long already, but to get to your second question, it kind of connects up here because I think what I took from most from Dylan's book um, in, in terms of hungry listening was uh, learning to shift the listening uh, in the voice and the lyrics in the sounds of the voices, in the sounds of the instruments, in the sounds of, you know, the beats or whatever, be they computer generated or instrument, more to think about, well, what am I feeling? And I don't just mean, you know, does it make me happy? Does it make me sad? But what is the uh, sort of effective discussion going on there, which is something Dylan starts to push more throughout the rest of the book as well. That It's an encouragement to think about what are you hearing? And again, not just through the ear or through the mind, but what is what is the bodily experience and what does that start to say about your connection to uh, place, uh, people, community, position, uh, all of those different elements. And it's been it's been a struggle, right? I when I, I've written a bit and a few different articles about listening to certain uh, pieces and artists and other settlers listening to certain pieces and artists. And the most difficult part is, again, that reflection about uh, what am I hearing, but I'm not just relating it in, um, you know, it moves from a G chord to a D chord, something like that, right? Or it's an upbeat and it makes me, uh, you know, the endorphins or whatever and all that stuff. It's uh, more about, you know, getting, uh, for me, I guess, my, my pull from it was the, was the gut discussion. I, I realized that I tend to listen a lot through uh, my gut, you know, and that's uh, the weird sense of that's where I'm pulling while this is making me feel uh, unsettled. And why is that sense and what is that feeling like for me? And where else have I felt that? And what does that mean in those moments? Uh, so it's more of, you know, turning to the body in the North American settler sense, but uh, turning to uh, the connections that are coming from that interrogation of that um, sense. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, for sure. I made, made a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. Do, is there anything else that we should mention about the term or, or um, anything that you have, do you think would be important? Well, there's obviously a lot more, but yeah, no, no. I yeah, I was just looking. I mean, like two, one or two notes that were like, this is what should be touched on. But I think we got most of it. I think we hopefully did like uh, did some justice to it and not uh, you know walking walking the wrong way or something. But I don't know. Yeah, I think it all. I think it feels good. I think uh, the only you know direction left to go would be. Again, doing some sort of uh, 
reactive listening or something, but I don't think that's that's necessary at all. You know. What what, what do you mean by reactive listening? Well, like I think uh, the the call for like, well, let's think about how we specifically listen to a, a certain song or something, right? Because then that that started the process later in I think Dylan's book that he pulls in some settler scholars and he steps back in in the own in his own writing and says, okay, now you you know do do some work of reflecting on and then they go into Sort of the same process, right? It's a it's a familiar process of, well, uh, this is you know uncomfortable, but I understand it. Uh, this is sort of my background because this is informs how I'm listening to things. Uh, I'm not sure where to go from here, and you know how what's the next step, Dylan? Can you come back in? And so Dylan comes back in in the writing and sort of pushes it a little bit. Um, but I think that's you know from my sense as well is the encouragement is. Kind of a push to think about, you know, like not patting ourselves on the back yet, but getting, you know, settlers or members of your community together to really think about what it means to listen. And part of that involves, like, you know, doing some listening. And maybe we would do, you know, uh, obviously not today, I mean, but we would do like sit down and listen to this song or this record and engage with what we're thinking about or what we're feeling and vocalizing that and thinking about how we're vocalizing it and experience it and how we're describing it. Um, because as Dylan says, part of the writing about how we're listening is that compositional part that might uh, push us to different, you know, listening practices or at least reveal the practices that we're uh, unconsciously perhaps engaged in. But you know, maybe one day it involves uh, listening to, uh, as I said, a record or a performance or a concert and maybe shifting the experience, not just, um, you know, solo on our iPods or whatever. Uh, maybe it's a group setting, but maybe it's a group setting uh, in a park or a group setting, whatever, just to shift that uh, multiple experience. And over time, right, to think about, well, on our initial listen, this is what happened and what we thought about and how we vocalized it and what we think about that. And then two months later and months later, and, you know, sort of that, how are we really continuing to engage that listening uh, experience and the making unfamiliar of the listening experience? Yeah, that's great. That that would be a really good exercise to do uh, for others, like on here. Uh, the only problem with that is there are these greedy uh, corporate copyright companies that are like, oh, you want to play music on YouTube? Have fun with that. Uh, but I mean, as far as the exercise go, I couldn't think of a better, as far as an engagement specifically with music, uh, a better way to do that. However, however, I think that it demands like at least what uh, Robinson is suggesting demands not only the capacity to, to listen, but the capacity to convey what your embodied response is, like your the effective dimension, which, and I would hate to generalize, but uh, colonial descendants don't have. <laughs> Speaking about our emotions is a very difficult thing, and people tend to refrain or refrain, refuse to 
engage with that part of themselves, which might be a product of just general, um, maybe Western detachment from feeling generally in favor of, you know, rationalism, whatever, whatever kind of uh, idea we can insert in there. And I wonder how that might be something that might come up as a barrier to realizing this uh, reactive listening or really promoting a, a fulfilling um, engagement with a piece of music, be it on a record or, or, or whatever. But it is certainly a, a wonderful uh, image and something that I think could be a good, a good thing to work towards and a good practice to help people be able to convey their feelings and to be able to match those feelings with a political project in, in, in my mind, at least. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you, you make a good point too, because it, um, that's again, where we can also uh, get tripped up. And I find that too, is I am listening and reading and, you know, I don't want to fall into, okay, well, how, you know, what does Leon Simpson say about this? And, oh, interesting. Maybe I'll try that. And, you know, that's sort of the appropriate of listening that again, just falls back into, the wrong pattern but i think i think you're right that part of the struggle is you know maybe that or maybe the step of doing it hopefully alleviates some of that um or maybe again encourages the fact that well you know listen uh, you know without just trying to uh, do whatever that you know uh you know name the name the chords or whatever and again that it's not that that is bad in it in itself or horrible, but it also requires the reflection that well, this is a colonial structure of understanding and listening to music. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I really added anything to your point there. I just am also in, in agreement that uh, there is there is an interesting barrier there, and I'm not quite sure that I perhaps have uh, uh, an adequate response or, or yeah, I don't, I, it's, uh, I don't know, just muddying no. the waters maybe. Uh, oh, no, it's good. I, I don't think you were demanding one either. I was just uh, uh, reflecting on that. And I think that is, you know, there are, there hopefully will be, uh, you know, barriers there because if it's too easy, then maybe we're not, not really doing it. But, uh, and I think going through that is, uh, I guess the best way to, uh, to comment, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I mean, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. Thank you very much, Ryan, for helping me through that. And for anyone else that listened, uh, I'll leave Ryan's contact information if anyone wants to uh, reach out, uh, that would be uh, if they want. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or, um, and then, yeah, if you made it this far, like, share, subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to leave uh, a comment, any input you might have, or if we did anything wrong or approached this subject matter in, in a way that was unfair or in a way that wasn't properly reflective, if you're willing to put in that labor, that'd certainly be something we would love to hear and take those criticisms seriously. And yeah, on that note, thanks a lot for listening and uh, I'll catch you next time.